0: Headphones on, microphones up, red lights blinking. Flex capacitor is fluxing. Flex capacitor flexing, (laughs) flexing. fluxing. 511 is breathing. 511 breathing. The iron lung of the 511 studios. Here we are, bringing to you lawyer talk off the record, but on the air. Here with another episode in the Blinsky Chronicles, the ongoing Blinsky Chronicles, soon to wrap up. For those who are interested to know that Blinsky chronicles, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna push it forward here today.
1: The five one one studio, which was a room that we sat down and talked in, Isn't that amazing.
0: You know what's funny? Right about where you're sitting at this round table, which was not in here, but my other conference table was in here. I was sitting, and right about where I'm sitting, in it, from us uh, the, in the time space continuum here. <clears throat> if we're going to use more flexing, uh, was shorty. And for whatever reason, you weren't here that day, but what we're talking about is the day that she brought down to me a photo album, uh, documenting certain things in your world. And, you know, as we, we, the probation officer, well, she prepares her report, but now it's our turn. We get to submit something else to the judge. We get to submit, uh, our version of how the statutory factor should apply because it used to be Jeff, and probably did you ever have an old guideline case with us?
2: I don't think so, and it's weird because I was you guys were talking about where you were sitting. I think I was sitting here, and Eric was roughly here when I interviewed in this room in two thousand eight, begging for a job, um which was just an internship at that point. was but that the corner you left the umbrella that's I don't remember where I left the umbrella, but I yeah, think i pointed I think I pointed to that corner and when he said. I don't have any place for you. I don't know where I'm going to put you. And I said, I'll work on a laptop right in that corner right there.
0: Yeah, which yeah. really rung my Button bell ball. because we actually – there was a time in my first office that – or when we first moved into this office, um, that was where the law clerk was. In a, yeah, you had a little – We had a little uh, workstation. Which is the, funny. Is the that the workstation there? It wasn't that one. It was very close, very close similar to that. Yeah. yeah. But anyway – um, no, I don't think I had a guidelines case with you to answer your question. It um, used to be that, and we've probably already said this, so. We'll be quick, but it used to be that the guidelines—if a guideline said 36 months in the federal penitentiary, or like in your case, Jared, 60 months in the federal penitentiary—you're sort of screwed unless the U.S. attorney is willing to ask for some uh, something else, departure or something, departure or another another way around it. And your case is somewhat like that also because we still needed that, but. The judge was sort of tied to what the guidelines said. And when a judge departed or did something the guidelines shouldn't have, we did a lot of federal appeals just on sentencing issues. And it was that you would – the Court of Appeals got so jammed up with that kind of stuff because that was all we had. We would just plead people guilty and then fight about what the guideline calculations were. Yeah, And then –
2: Can you imagine how frustrating that would be as a judge? You, you have, like your what, hands are tied. What, what am I called? I'm called a judge. I pass judgment on people and give a sentence that I think is appropriate. Oh, they, I have to do this. You have to that's do what it. the guidelines say.
0: Now the guidelines gave you a range, and we we're always hoping. We well, yeah, but there's a minimum. There's a minimum. Yeah, I and you can't just, do less than 36 months. You're doing no less than 36 months. It's like we'd be sitting down, and our conversation, Jared, would have been a lot different than it was leading up to your sentencing. It would have been, look, she said five years. We have to hope that the prosecutor asked for a 5K1 motion based on cooperation and then hope that the judge will grant it and then hope that the judge will depart in some way from what the guidelines say. But, you know, there's all these other, it's like you, we, I can almost tell you within a range what your sentence would be. And then if we have objections to the PSI, we would have long, long hearings on what the sentencing law was on these guidelines. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it just became a whole new area of practice on its own changed. It changed the federal practice. I never knew it different before but I did know it as it is now, which is sort of where your case was. And what we do is we look at what's called the 3553 factors. There's, there's a statutory list of things judges are supposed to look at. And it's like, what, what might you think they are like somebody's prior record? Well, that's in the guidelines, Mm -hmm. but what's the risk they're going to do it again. That fancy word that we say recidivism. What is the, who is this person? Who was he before? Who is he now? Um, what is there a need to protect society from this person? These sort of broader swath of questions yeah. that give the judge, I guess, the power that we're used to or that we would traditionally think that he or she would have.
2: Yeah. And Steve, you mentioned 5K1. You'll like this, Jared. If you like hip hop music, you'll find a lot of hip hop songs that reference 5K1. Yeah. 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 That's like and calling. I didn't know what that was until I started working as a lawyer and I was like, "Oh, there." Oh, now you get it. Section 5K1 5K of the yeah, sentencing that guidelines. departure from the guidelines. And so what we were
0: trying to do as we prepared for the sentencing is come up with our mitigation. How are we going to talk to the judge about Jared Blinsky? And this is sort of and we you know, this is interesting because we have, we actually started off this these chronicles talking about this very topic. It's like my shift in how I handled these kind of situations was happening in real time back then. And your case was one of those that really sort of moved me in a direction that I, I have really now I've driven trucks through it now, but Mm. it was like, instead of the typical crap that judges were hearing, this person is 30 years old. He's never been in trouble before judge. He comes from a good family. He's educated and, we're very confident that should this court deem it appropriate that he not go to prison, that he will uh, never be back here again and comply with all terms and conditions of his probation and be a really good citizen, right? So it's like that typical crap. That and, and look, it is what it is. I mean, some that's if that's how you practice, sometimes so you're being, stuck with yeah, it. Sometimes too. sometimes that's all you have. Yeah, but it, there's no color to that. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no dimension to that in the time space continuum. It It's just this one dimensional black and white image mm-hmm. in courier font. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's, it, there's nothing to it. Um, and, and I found it really, frankly, unpersuasive.
2: Yeah. Unpersuasive. And in Jared's case, a little bit, we have to, well, she didn't skewer you in the PSI, but we have to, cause he kind of do with this with levels. Cause we started out, you cock the prosecutor. You know, they got to get them to like you, to get them to to want to hear what you have to say and maybe go into that courtroom and say, you know, he was cooperative. Maybe he's deserving of some lesser sentence. And then level two, where do you go? You go to the nemesis, the, the, the PSI writer, right. right? And we see what they say. And now what you're talking about doing is now we're in level three. You know, we've maybe passed level ones and two so far. You know, maybe had some little brisket here, a little rib there, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and maybe we've gone that far. But that's that—that's kind of in an ideal world, Steve. Don't you think that's the levels you want to see in these cases? Yeah. You want to get through that first step. You want to get to that second step. And now the most important step really is made more difficult if you didn't do well in level one and
1: level two. No, that's right. Yeah. As a layman setting aside and not knowing all of this, you're explaining it to me. I'm able to listen You still see what they recommend. Yeah. And in my mind, why wouldn't the judge follow that? Yeah. Yeah. She's done an investigation. She has looked into it. Things have been checked and gone over.
2: Her office is in the courthouse.
1: It's right there. They work work together. They know each other. So in my world, accept the recommendation. Yeah, you're
2: screwed. You're thinking. You can already hear the language. And I've reviewed all this stuff, and, and there's a recommendation made in this case, and I'm going to follow
0: the, the court. Will follow the yeah. recommendation yeah. of the probation yeah. department in the pre-sentence report. Yeah, and they look at Mr. Blinsky. Do you have any objection? You know, it's like they make it very formal. You can see it all happening, but and this is where this is the difference between dying young and living a long, prosperous life as an attorney. We're in the die young category because this mm-hmm. stuff eats me up. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I, in other words, I hate the thought that I'm going to hear those words, follow the recommendation. I mean, it really, really pains me to to, to think that I know this individual, whether it's Jared or somebody else, I, and hopefully by now, I've got an understanding of what brought this person to the courtroom. And my job then, I take on this ridiculous burden of using that and coming up with some way to tell that to the judge. And I'm a firm believer that we can change judge not all the time, but we can change judges' minds on the fly. We can do it. So if a judge walks into a courtroom thinking I'm giving this no good sub ten years, I think we can change judge's mind, and we might hear eight. Now here's the problem with that, Jared. From here's a, here's a here's a business model. Imagine you're in your vape business. If you had to, if you you somebody says look, or you look at somebody and say, you know, what? you're a great customer. I'm gonna give you a discount this time. You know, you paid five dollars for this product last time. I'm going to give you a, a, a dollar discount because you bought this many of them you've so paid your dues, you've paid your dues. Well, what if you had to do that and they didn't know so it's like it's always four dollars, but in your head, you know you've, you''ve you've given them that discount, but they don't they don't know it. That's like our business right? So if somebody's pleading guilty to something they go into a courtroom where a judge was going to give them ten years and they only get five or eight there's no way to ever know, yeah, right? right? We never know. All we can do as lawyers is sort of listen to other guys say, man, you did a great job at that sentencing hearing or, right.
2: or a really good job or, or sometimes the judges spell it out or and something. they say, I want you to know when you came in this courtroom, I had in my head, I'm giving you 10 years, but and you're based, a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they really shout you out. Sometimes right. they do. And then here's what's worse. Even in times like
0: that, people look at us and say, well, you were just telling them mm-hmm. who I was. So all you did was just explain what I did, you know, it's like, yeah. And if
2: you don't sit through those and see the
0: normal, if you don't see the normal, the difference between, I guess, acceptable and maybe even good versus like, uh, I don't even know what the right word is. Like, uh, like art, right? Mm. Like there's an, there's an art, there's an artisan way to do these types of hearings and it requires, it's sort of like the Green Mile. You see that movie? Yeah. You know, the guy has to suck in all the bad yeah. juju and then blow yeah. it out and then he can save the person. So yeah. right. you have to do that in order to in order to go in and talk about somebody and have it genuine. Yeah. Otherwise, it's bullshit. Otherwise, you're
2: just up there spouting off what everybody, what anybody could spout off. To, to do it well, I guess to summarize what you're saying, to do it well, you got to be different. You got to be different. You just got to be different. And nobody teaches this crap in law school. They don't. No, but, I, no, I didn't even know. It. Nobody had me practice a sentencing hearing in law school, and that is ninety five percent of the time. What we are doing, we are conducting right. sentencing hearings and trying to get people the best deal that we can. Um, we have the trials, but that's a lot of it. And no one ever sat me down and said, "Let's do a sentencing class. Let's do the art of sentencing, which would be a great class." By it me. would be a great class. Yeah.
0: And it, there's a, there's a that's the last chance. That's your last chance, mm-hmm. and it may be even more than that. Might be your only chance because let's say, for instance, hypothetically speaking, some group of undercover narcotics officers has been surveilling a group of boys out there growing weed in fields for a period of six, eight months, and they have gathered so much evidence that the case against these individuals is overwhelming, that there is categorically zero meritorious factual defense. Let me explain that a different way. You're going to freaking lose if you go to trial. Yeah on everything and you got to plead guilty. So this is really your only chance. Like Jeff, you said, it's like phase one is like, you got to get past the prosecutor's role, so they don't hate you and make you plead to the world where you've got no chance. Yeah. So you've got to posture yourself up at the best possible way you can under the circumstances. And, and then it's really, it's your only chance to, to, to actually have an opportunity to win your case. And I'm going to put that in quotes because You're not walking out, right? I mean, it's like there's no winning when you've already pled guilty. But that is, I mean,
2: everybody's got their head around this. And I think the lay people out there don't get that, oh, well, I'll just appeal. It doesn't work that way with sentencing. You know what I mean? It's like you're very limited when you're being sentenced on what you can appeal. So, for instance, if, you know, the maximum sentence, which this is getting way off of federal court, but let's say the maximum sentence for a crime is 10 years. If the judge came in and sentenced you to 11 years, well, now you got something to appeal. But otherwise, what number he says out of his mouth or she says out of her mouth, that's it. If it's in the that's range what you're doing. and
0: it's, it's, it's even remotely reasonable, you ain't appealing nothing.
1: Yeah, right. nothing.
2: So it's not like you can get a second opinion.
1: You let me know that there were a number of things that we had to ask for, look for when you were writing it up down to I knew I was getting sentenced. And you had a list on there to where we're also going to have to ask where you go. Yeah.
0: In federal court, we get to make a request on where do you want to go to jail if you're, or prison if you're going to prison. Judge, the judge can't force it, but the judge can recommend it
2: or endorse a certain facility. Would you ask for Alcatraz or Leavenworth or what?
1: We, we I don't recall. <laughs> it, was, it, it wasn't, it was, Rikers, it wasn't either know. one of those. Uh, it was, I do believe, one that was in Kentucky. Yeah, I can't remember what we asked for. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. But Let's we're getting,
0: going. We're of, so here's what, we, here's what I, in your case, I mean, it's like I, I'm sort of taking for granted what I do now, but I was discovering this when we were preparing for your sentencing. And I think it's because I was sort of moved by a lot of stuff I learned about what got you to my domain here. And, you know, Shorty comes in with this photo album and She's like, and I, had, you guys had told me to it, so I'm not going to act like it was the first I ever heard of it. But I, we start talking about this thing called, the, like, for instance, the ride for pride. And and by the way, there are – everybody says – let me just tell you this. I have, Everybody comes into our, our office and they're like, it doesn't mean anything that I've got a family and I've never been in trouble and I've got a good job. And I was like, yeah, that does mean something. That means you're – that's why you're sitting here and not in jail already, right? Yeah. You know, it's like that – if you don't have that, you would know. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, then it's worse. Mm-hmm. So everybody's got that. We have to find
2: different stuff. Yeah. The four people being sentenced in front of you are going to have all the same thing.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're a good guy. Right. We understand. Yeah. So then we have to come up with a way to, to, like I said, give it a little bit more dimension. And I would hope that people who find themselves in federal trouble haven't screwed up since they've been in federal trouble. Right. I mean, so it's, it's like, so you, it, we're not looking necessarily for things that happened after your arrest.
1: And believe me, it happens. People. I, I did ask you that because it's been a year and a half roundabout. And I said, well, doesn't that count? I mean, I have gone down for a drug test two times, sometimes plus a week. I've never failed. I have never rolled a stop sign. I have been followed every regulation to the fullest. And you said, as you were supposed to do. Right. So <laughs> let me understand it. You haven't violated you, you any laws. You want an award yeah. for that. Right. So you didn't break any laws. a boy. a boy. boy right. a boy right there. Good job. Yeah.
0: So it's like, it, it's like, you're not going to get a plus out of that, but you're not going to get a minus for, right. for, for, for screwing up because people do, you know, people right. flunk drug tests. They say they fall off the wagon or whatever it is, but uh, there's, there's, there's a way to deal with that too, but we didn't have to. And that's a good, that's good that we didn't have to in your case. And you went back to work and you were doing the barbecue stuff and all that was great. So, but what we're really looking for is what happened before. I mean, were you just a no good rotten son of a bitch who was able to pull it together after you got caught or is there more to look at there? And that's what, that's where we sort of began in your situation. We, that, that, that's what sort of shifted my, my theory on sentencing. It's like, aha, and I had been to the basement, right? Eric had died and we'd gone through all this. So I'd been through my own emotional turmoil and I, maybe that was part of it, but I was like, all right, now I need to really dig in to the, uh, uh, I don't know, the heart of this mess. I need to dig into it and figure out more. And, uh, that's where shorty comes in and she's been telling me, oh, he's such a good guy and he's this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. He's grown pot good enough. But you know, it's like, it's, uh, and then it started to, it started to dawn on me that you really are. And she comes in and starts telling me about this ride for pride and how she could get all these letters. And, and I, so now she's got my attention. We start listening. And this ride for pride, you're a motorcycle guy, right?
1: I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. Enthusiast. I am. I'm, I am, according to the AMA, I'm a 99 percenter because only 1% are dirt bags. <laughs> so you're a 99 percenter.
0: So the ride for pride, what is it? I mean, uh, uh, let's act like nobody. What um,
1: is the ride If, for if we pride? can start out on the on the ride for pride, uh, 9-11 uh, changed a lot for a lot of people. It changed. Uh, that, that's that's understatement. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. It, it, it changed how our, our country operates. Mm-hmm. We were forced to join the rest of the world whenever we were attacked. Yep. Uh, it affected me in a lot of ways. It affected me to watching the second plane hit the tower to watching what it did to our economy. I was in the private club industry and that situation changed the private club industry overnight. People were no longer membership members at three clubs. They were cutting down to social. They were not throwing the parties that they were before businesses began to hoard their money. Gold went up in value People are holding on, and I ride motorbikes. I ride motorbikes with a number of people in the fire departments, law enforcement, average everyday Joes, um, accountants to mechanics. Yeah, and I, I had a neighbor that lived down the road, and we always rode together. And we were sitting around at our, our local watering hole, and it was it was coming up. Nine Eleven was coming up, and. It, it just affected us all and we wanted to do something not knowing what to do. We decided to get together. I did not bring it in. I've, I've got it framed and hung up on our first nine eleven ride. A reporter for the AMA came on the ride and he wrote an article and I have the article printed off and it's a great article. It, at one point in time, I, I'd like to read it just, just on here. Mm. And, uh, we get what we thought was going to be a group of friends. And what we did was, and you'd asked me before about what bikes I ride. What do I like? Mm -hmm. You ride a cow socket. You ride this. And on the flyer that we put out, it said, it doesn't matter what you ride. Just bring your flag and your pride. Mm. And it was a flag run. So we got together. We had flags on our bikes the day was the, on, on the first anniversary was a, a good day. I'm trying to think; it was a Saturday, and we left the continent, and we went for a ride. We went down around the state house, and we went around the state house, and we had around 150 motorcycles. This is the first time. This is the first time. That's awesome. And there were multiple people that I'd never met before that had heard about the ride that showed up. Multiple people that are friends of ours. And we get on 71, we come downtown, we get off, and we go all the way down, was that 4th? Yeah, right, yeah, 4th goes down. And then we go around the state building and then come back up High Street. Now, as we were doing this, we were literally parading without without a license. Yeah, you're breaking all sorts so of laws. We're right? breaking all sorts of laws. So here I am, going <laughs> to you say, I got to go in and say you're breaking the, the law. So, but as we came around the corner and we were going through, we had people with flags on their bikes, and we had different riders that know how to block who run rides that would stop at at the lights. We'd have a, because the lights are going to change; you can't get all the bikes through. And the emotion and the way we felt as the people that were being held up in intersections got out of their cars. Put their hands on their hearts, cheering us all the way down High Street, and we took twenty three all the way up to Polaris Parkway. Turned right on there, we went to Quaker Steak and Lube, and or maybe it was on a Wednesday. Maybe it was actually a bike night. They had a fire department was there with the bucket, and we pulled in and we'd set up. And Shorty brought you Channel Six had interviewed me. Yeah. They interviewed me before the ride, and they were there broadcasting, recording at the Lube when we pulled in. And and
0: it's not just a bunch of bikers. I mean, you got police officers, first responders, you know, fire. I mean, these are these are community members that really represented the cross section of the world, right? A lot, yeah, a lot of veterans. a lot of veterans.
1: A lot of veterans. Like you said, law enforcement, and and in, and everything. We were together that day. It was a sad day that that hurt a number of us mentally, you know, that we were just down and we just needed to be around a brotherhood. Hmm. And from that, it has grown into relationships. We're going on 16, you know, this will be 16 years. Then the second ride came, the third ride came. As they came and started being built, people would come up to us and they would want to donate. And I was like, there's... There's no, there's, there's nothing, no, there's nothing <laughs> right. here. This is, we called it a flag ride and we called it a rolling salute so that as people could see it and they would go down. Now we, we did the first couple where we came downtown as the bikes got bigger. You ever played the, the, is a child, the snake game, the whip, whip snap game. Everybody holds their hands. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah you get a it and start, well, somebody starts running it and like this and there's the, a whip and the very end guy it becomes oh, a whip and yeah. throw you off. Same things going on on motorcycles. If you get a large group of bikes, the first bike might be doing fifty-five miles an hour. Once you stretch that out, that last bike could be doing ninety plus to keep up because it's drafting just, and stuff. Just, well, just because of the way it's stretched out, wow. it's just just it, it's 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 a weird cycle. because I've ridden, I've done the ride where I was the leader a number of times. I've ridden in the middle and I've ridden in the end. Once again, we had good guys, good riders. Some of them law enforcement, some of them firefighters, some big guys, big flags, and we'd stop him. Well, I think it was after the second year, the fire riders that were on there started getting in contact with other ones. So then we started out and Columbus PD, would start the ride. I mean, not PD, uh, fire department. And then Columbus would take us down the road. Then once we got to Worthington, we stopped at the Worthington Fire Department on 23. Their trucks would fire up, take us down. Westerville has caught us, taking us down. Genoa has caught us and taking us down.
0: So these are all local law enforcement people, mainly fire and fire. Well, I'm going to call them. They're, you can call them law enforcement. These are these are uh, badge wearing guys, yes, and, and gals, and they're part of this bride for pride. everybody. I mean, everybody's. It's like the whole, the community is into it. It's, it's got big enough where news is there. Everybody's
1: there, and if everybody, it's like anticipated next year too. We would end at different places because the ride started before I had the barbecue. And the ride would get bigger and bigger. Now, when I had my catering by Jared, we stopped at the Lube one time, and then another time we had another stop, uh, which was at the kickstand. It hadn't opened up yet. They got a temporary beer license, and I had my catering. I, I provided barbecue. I've always provided food for everybody on this. Now, you didn't sell it. I didn't sell it. Right. You just did it. I just did it. Once... After a while, they built the memorial in uh, in Sunbury. Sunbury, the Fallen Heroes Memorial. Yeah. Sean's in, Once yeah. that got built, now I had a place and a purpose. Hmm. We got with them. So then we changed the route. Changed the route to where we just rode down Cleveland Avenue. Where well, we went from the continent down uh, to Schrock Road to Cleveland Avenue, the back way. We once again having different. Fire departments that would one would be at an intersection so the one would branch off and the other one would pick up. So for a number of years we had a ladder truck on the front and we had an ambulance or another fire truck at the back of it. So it would it would we were escorted all the way through. To keep it safer in that way we went to the memorial. Those those crosses at the memorial cost over four hundred fifty dollars apiece. Really? It's beautiful. Um, when we were out there, they were just, uh, the land was donated. Uh, they had moved the earth. There was grass that needed to be done. And there would be people out there that would that would give a speech, that would talk about the memorial. Through that, the people that wanted to donate or give before, I'd always say, just give to your local fire department. Give, you know what I mean? Pick a charity and donate on nine eleven. Maybe that will help. Hmm. Now we had this, and they let people know they're like, "If you don't have money, we need somebody to wash these. They get dirty. Come out, help us wash, pick up trash. Uh, there were some people that were on the ride that helped build the, 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 the everlasting flame that helped laid saw it. That, so then now that we had this memorial, now I was like, now we've got a purpose. Yeah. Now we've got a place to always take it to. now we've got a place to end it. So we would stop there, walk through. Then we would continue through Sunbury to Route 62, and then we would take that to my barbecue. And everybody gets to eat. And then everybody gets to eat. So from 2007, well, actually, yeah, 2007 until I, I, I left the barbecue, uh, we, so seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, so five years, the ride ended there. Once again, large groups of people. If we had 150 bikes to 200 bikes, you'd have passengers on every single one of them. Hmm. So, you know, that's 400 people, 500 people easily.
0: This is a, this is a real deal. I mean, this is like national news, real deal type of thing. And I got a guy coming in charged with a federal crime. And I ask, all right, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And I get stories like this. And this didn't happen after you were caught. This started before this. Well, before st- 2002. Yeah. This started, I mean, in other words, you're not doing this to make yourself look good in case you ever get caught by a federal task force on drug issues. So it, it you had a remarkable story leading up to this thing, almost two lives in a lot of ways. This
1: goes back to the United States of America versus Jar Belinsky. Yeah. I, to this day, I love my country. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yep. I was hurt when we got hurt. Did not know what to do. We got together throughout that. It built a number of amazing relationships. And in the 16 years, there's a number of people that had been on every single ride that cannot go on that ride because they're they, they don't walk with us anymore. Yeah. Mm. We've lost a lot of people. Yeah, that you know, including to to one to cancer this year. That won't be on the ride that had been there every year.
0: And mm-hmm. these aren't just guys out. I mean, look, forgive me, but these aren't just guys out. Uh, these aren't monkeys out uh, clipping pot. I mean, these are no. real community. A lot of times, pillars, right? I mean, these are folks who who really, who really.
1: The axemen helped us. Tremendously throughout this whole thing, put it together. The Axmen is a motorcycle club of brethren of firefighters. Of firefighters. Mm. Um, from that, I've I've worked a number of events with them. They have you know from Cleveland to Cincinnati to there's chapters. And when you all say work it.
0: events, help them cater.
1: Yes, right. I've I've helped them, and they do multiple multiple charity runs. You know, Christmas time. You know, present drives. Uh, there's Baca, which is uh, the Bikers Against Child Abuse, and the and when you're helping them do this stuff,
0: there's not much prop. I mean, you're not doing it for prop. That's what's yeah. interesting. It's like when you start talking about it. It's like, well, did you get paid for that? No, I was just sort of, you know, it was the men I wanted to.
1: There was a cross pollination that happened there. Yeah. Like I said, the, yeah. the, the the Bikers Against, you know, the Child Abuse, they got a lot of people that were on our ride, stand up people that were here for this that found out about this program going on here. Yeah. So they would go on their rides. So, you know, I mean our our group will help your group. Now there we had members of the actual Outlaws. Yeah. Which is a real motorcycle club. And it is a real thing. And they would be on the ride. We had members of the gunslingers, which is a police motorcycle club. I imagine that got a little tense. So it, oh, it did get a little bit, t- but it did, but it didn't. Everything on that day and on that ride was put aside. It's like Christmas Eve on the front. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Interesting.
2: Well, it's weird. Can you think of anything else in our society? When I think of, you know, people can have different, probably incorrect opinions about bikers or people that ride Harleys or whatever, but it's like, can you think of anything else in our society that has such passion and solidarity as a person that rides a motorcycle? You can see. You can drive down the road and see it. It is. like anybody that passes, I don't care what your style of bike is. I don't care if you're the hardest, you know, leather wearing Harley Davidson riding. He passes a 18 year old on a dirt bike. What do they do? Oh yeah. What do you do? Oh yeah. You do the wave. It's always the wave. It's It's like this. It's automatic. You throw them the horns. Yeah, man. It's there. it's,
0: It's interesting because, and here's what's even more fascinating about this from a, from a, as I'm preparing for a case, it's, I would normally hear somebody come in and say, I participate in this ride for pride every year. You know, I was like, well, have you ever done anything? You know? Oh yeah. I per, you ever volunteer. I participate in this ride for pride every year. Every year I go ride on this thing or, you know, every year I try to go, um, I, I volunteer at a soup kitchen or something. It's like, you hear that you started it. It's like, I didn't hear I participate. I heard I created this with zero financial interest in mind with zero motivation to look good to anybody in mind. It was because I felt something that was calling me to do this. And that moved me in a way for your sentencing that nobody else gets. Right. You just, I mean,
1: I was just Mm. like, Holy shit. Mm. I can't. And then now we got to figure out how to use it. I started it before I had my business. When I started it, I was still working in the private club industry. Yeah. After 9-11, after the change that went down and the restructuring of the business that I was at is where I became – did my private chef, did my catering, did my hot dog carts.
0: I mean, it wasn't even the, the – So it was it
1: was before that. I hadn't – It
0: was before the dope game. I mean, it was before the meat of the case even. I mean, it was just it – just, it was before, during, and after.
1: Yes. So. And it, I didn't do it for – the only gain I did it for was, I guess, internal – The only gain that I was looking for is, like you said, is to be around people that felt the same way that I did, that I'm riding with vets, that I can thank them for what they've done. Mm. I'm riding with law officials that I can thank them for what they had to go through. And just a brethren, a a network of people that we, we brought together and never been a fight. There's never been a brawl. There's never, those events were always very peaceful. The memorial continues to grow. Doesn't, it doesn't stop. Hmm. You know, there are new crosses added there mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. I can remember, and I, have, and I look at photos every time we go there and we stop on 9-11, I take a photo. And you can look at the first photos I have and you can see the crosses. Hmm. And you can continually, every year, you see it grow. Man. Gives you goosebumps thinking about it. It's scary. You know,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, but Jeff and I hear all the time from people Well, I can get somebody, I can get so and so to write me a letter for my sentencing. Or so and so come into court and they'll talk for me. And I'm thinking to myself, that's the last thing I want is some two hour hearing with a bunch of community normal or just people to normal folks coming in and talk like it doesn't you're never here's the There's point. A sweet spot you're never going to bring somebody in or have somebody write a letter who's going to say something bad for you it's sort of like you didn't get in trouble after you got caught well good guess yeah you, you that's that's good right yeah. <laughs> you lived a law-abiding life but nobody's ever going to come in and say, "I hate this sob." I mean, we're not going to bring that to the court. So at some point, it becomes sort of disingenuous. Yeah. If that, I don't even know if that's the right word, it becomes the weird thing is his a
1: letter from a grandmother that yeah, grand, right. loved
0: their grandson or a priest, yeah. right? So let me but let his me read situation something. was weird. Let me read something, Your Honor. I took the opportunity to talk with more than one person who knows and has done business with Jared. Jared is liked, but more than that, he is truly liked and respected in the respected community wide. He and his little business are community staples and institutions of sorts. They serve. He su- though he serves tasty barbecue. He earned his high reputation and respect principally because of many noble and worthy community, charitable, philanthropic, and civic efforts that he supports, works at, and participates in, including one important event that he initiated. He needed. He is need. What is this? Oh, his needed and valuable and critical involvement has been constant since he entered his small community. I suspect that you have received many other accolades and pleas on Jared's behalf. I'm sure everyone's comments ring positive about his character. He is a, quote, giver, end quote, using his limited time and resources for others. This is an impressive, humble, giving young man with more giving to offer. And I'm going to jump up ahead. Here's what he says earlier. I spent a little over an hour with Jared and Shorty. I added that. I spent a little little over an hour with them, probing Jared with many relevant questions in this matter. I took time to look over his restaurant. In truth and summary, I found Jared and his business most humble. It's sort of, so that's a letter. All right. So mom writes a letter like that, or dad writes a letter like that, or you get your best friend or grandma or somebody to write a letter like that. This was written by a federal judge. All right. This is written by a federal judge that happened to know you in some capacity. And was willing I'm not going to say who or where it came from, but was willing.
1: He, he sat down with me a number of times. He's a retired federal judge, yeah, and he, he was aware of what was happening. He had eaten my food in many a time, and he wanted to talk with me. And before he wrote a letter, he sat down, and we spent I remember the first time it was a couple hours and the second time it was like an hour that he wanted to come in and sit down. And the first time we just talked, like I said, for like two hours, and he asked a number of questions. Second time we sat down, he had a list written up, and he wanted to follow up, and he had a few things that he looked up. Then he talked with me, made me feel very good, and he said, I I will put something together for you, Jared. And that is a retired federal judge that would know who I am going to stand in front of. They have worked together.
0: Yep. So I'm getting this stuff. I got Shorty coming in with notebooks. That was from his letter? That was from his letter. That was his letter. I, I have Shorty coming in with notebooks that she had assembled before this happened full of clippings from the Ride for Pride or another letter of thank you by somebody who she somehow... She No, this
1: was... People that had came, I mean, we had people that would come and ask, is there anything we can do to help? Mm. And
0: and Shorty assembles all this stuff and brings it to me. And I'm just like, and I, I probably gave you the same letter speech I just gave. It's like, all right, what am I going to do? You, you did, like, right. I, all right, you're going to write a letter. I'm going to get somebody to write a letter. What do you think it's going to say? Oh, he's a good guy. Give him a break. Yeah. I said, it's got to be more than that. You're you, like, well, how about a federal judge? I was like, well, okay, well, I'll think about that. <laughs> <It's>
1: like, <laughs> that's s- a little bit different. I said, how about... Uh, The, who sits on council now, who was the mayor of Johnstown, the mayor Mm -hmm. of Johnstown. Will that, will that help? But here's why it was different. Go ahead. Here's why I
2: think your situation was different. This is the perspective I remember thinking uh, at the, at the time, everybody can write a letter. Everybody can get a letter from somebody that says they're a good person. He hung out with my family and he was always enjoyable and he always cooked great food and he always had everybody's interest at heart. What was funny is everybody was willing to say that about you, but then they were also in the same sentence or the same, you know, in the same moment to say, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. You let me down. I love you, Jared. I know you're a good guy and you let me down. So it's weird because everybody was- wants to write all the flowery stuff, but a number of them were law enforcement or whoever the knew you saying you duped me. Why'd you do that to me? which I think made the letters and the moments and the, the words coming out of their mouth more powerful because they were disappointed at the same time. They were being, disappointed, but they still believed. But they still believed in who you were. Well, they and that saw, was
0: powerful. And with this backdrop, we're trying to prepare this sentencing memo and, and, and somehow put this in a perspective with the judge. I mean, so what I've, what I've been given is this two-sided scenario, the nemesis and then the other stuff. And then in the middle is this enormous criminal allegation that you've pled guilty to, that everybody knew what was going on and there was no disputing the facts. And you did it, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. this, now we've got to take this into a courtroom.
2: Well, let me just say, Jared, too, and maybe you haven't thought, and maybe have, but that's a hard thing to do. It's great to have a lot of mitigation. It's great to have things to say. It's great to prepare yourself in a in a unique way to present it to a court and say, this is going to sound different than what the court normally hears. But you had so much, Steve. Almost too much. It's almost like, I want to say all this, but I don't want, you know, it's like that movie that you go and sit in with your wife and you're like, man, that movie was 20 minutes too long. You know what I mean? It had me, but. They could a little bit and then they lost me. It's like you can't do that. So you yeah. have to get this, you have to put the chunks of the most powerful information in front of the court, but not discredit some of the small things too that still needs to be heard. That you still know? need
0: to be heard. And and we run this as lawyers we do, we deal with this all the time where I'll sit down and the client's family come and Why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you do this? We should have done this. You should have said, should've said, should have said, should have said. But the fact is you really get maybe three points to make. That's fair. In a setting like that. All right. Maybe three, if you're lucky. And maybe they hear the first and the last. And maybe they hear the first, maybe they hear the <laughs> yeah. last. All right. And then everything else is just blah, 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 blah. And if you're going to do more than that, then you ha- it there. there's an art to how it has to happen. I... I used to read, and this is all. This is all stuff. I think that I've, I've, uh, looking back after your case, I've sort of put together my philosophy on how it all works. But I love bad novels. I love them. <laughs> you like bad novels, I, or like tra- not trashy, like, like trash. Yeah, like I know what like, you like mean. Dirk Pitt. Do you ever read uh, Clive Cussler
2: books? Like it's I've, like,
0: it's it's just no. this. It's sort of like it's it's.
2: Uh, I I picture what my mom used to read. I called Brain. What they have day. they have the, who's the guy Fabio. Yeah, no, it, wasn't, it
0: wasn't romance novels, <laughs> but it was like uh, these action it was, it, it, But it's sort of like, uh, I used to call it mind candy, right? I could just sit there and just zone oh, out and, and and I could go on vacation. I could just cramp through two or three. I could just read them. And it was funny to me that it always started. It, it, it was never lineal, the stories. Uh, in those books particularly, there'd always be uh, it would be like the, the little heading would say September whatever eighteen eighty five, mm. you know Captain Joe Blow on the ship uh, had never encountered a storm like this. You know, Three The waves right. are rolling and blah 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 blah. And he, he's, they're telling the story, and then uh, everybody dies. You're know, like, all right, that was eighteen ninety five. And then the next the next one is like Spain, current date, and then the main character is getting on a beach and he's got the hot chick or whatever it is with him, and he tells a bit of that, and then it bounces around to a different part. And you you remain interested mm. because of that. And you know, when you're reading that, that somehow, towards the end of this book, you're going to figure out why he was telling us what happened in 1895. And you want to know. You want to know. And it makes you stay in the moment to know. Mm. So when we stand up to do a cross-examination, you don't – you got you to divide it. You got to figure out – how you're going to tell your novel in a way that makes sense. And you want your audience, your readers, your jury to pay attention. They want to know why you started here, but you have to, there's an art to it. You wait too long. It's gone. You get lost in the middle. You lost them too. You go in too many different directions. It gets confusing. So there's a, there's an art to it that has to happen. So when you come into us with this notebook full of stuff, to talk about it, you're sentencing. I'm just like, holy crap! What the hell do we do with this? I mean, any one of these things alone
2: would be a full sentencing hearing, and we've got all this stuff. Um, and even if you prepare it the way you just said, well, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's not a novel because it can't be prepared. It, it can't be read. It has to be delivered in a certain way, and it has to be delivered in a way that you're also looking how people are reacting. It's a controlled. What's the secretary doing? What's the bailiff doing? What are the people behind me doing? What's the judge doing right now? It's like, what is the demeanor? Do I need to go longer? Do I need to go shorter? Do I need to, it's like, are you the last case
0: called? Are you the first case called? Is it hot in the courtroom? Is the judge pissed off about something else that has already happened? Is it, is it, you know, what is it? It's a dynamic problem and you have to stand up there and deliver. I always said, being a trial lawyer like this, and I'm going to call this trial lawyering because that's really what it is. But being in a, being a, a live courtroom lawyer like this, you have to pay attention to all these things. It's it's like a play with a loose script. It's like yeah. it's like impromptu, um, and you have to gauge feedback in so many different directions, and keep your cool, keep your calm, and be able to adjust on the fly. And if you can't do that. Uh, and and at times say, "Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead!" I got to get this done. I don't care what this, ju- I don't care if they're rolling their eyes at me. Yeah, damn it, I'm going to do it anyway because we yeah. get that out of alleged victims and prosecutors and law enforcement. I start talking and they're rolling their eyes, and I know it. And they want me to. I'm like, "Nope, I'm not backing down." Damn the torpedoes, we're getting through this, and you're going to hear it, like it or not. And it's uh, it is such a, it's a career long endeavor. I guess it's like it's like music, yeah. right? You never master it. You try. You just
2: practice it forever. We should flip this and make this the Palmer Chronicles for a moment. It's like in the days leading up to this, Stephen. You've got all the stuff they've given you. What are you doing? What do you like? How are you sleeping?
0: i shit shitting my pants, right? Shitting your pants, right? Right. So I can act like the cool, tough bravado learner. and I probably did right. to you. Um, but truth be told, I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I got some. It's like. You know, we were talking before this this show today. You weren't there, Jeff. We we're at my office talking. He's I was like, doing legal work upstairs. I don't know what that is. <laughs> we were we were talking a little bit, and you're like, "Yeah, I thought I gave this. I thought about some of the stuff we're going to say when we start talking about the sentencing." And I know that feeling because I had that too. I do that all the time. I'm like, all right, when I talk about this particular subject, I'd like it to sound like this. I'd like to, I'd like to say these words or I'd like to do. And I had those thoughts too, before we recorded today, you know how many of those words I've used zippity do-da. none of them. Right. Um, But it's there. And I had those thoughts leading up to this sentencing. Like, man, what am I going to do? And I had these snippets and then you get to the courtroom and there is this packed, packed courtroom, full of people. And by people, I mean other defendants in completely unrelated cases, parents of those defendants, family members of those defendants, law enforcement officers in this case and other cases, prosecutors that I have to work with and I hope get their respect day in and day out. Um, Not to mention the judge, the bailiff, the typical court personnel, your family, Um
2: Let's keep in mind if they're willing to write letters like they wrote you, well, they sure as heck want to be present, standing there supporting you. Right. Sentencing it is packed, and I have I
0: walk into this thing, and I'm like, holy shit! I don't know what
2: I'm going <laughs> to what I'm going to say. We forget everything a little bit. It's like I, and I, I was nervous, right? I mean, there's I, a there's a there's a to me there's a you have to be a person that sort of thrives in those moments to do this job, that adrenaline that comes from that. I can't tell you the amount of times, even at my age, I can't think people experience this. You know what I mean? That where I'm standing there next to somebody that maybe committed a horrible crime, but I feel like they've trusted me to do this and my heart, I can feel it. I can feel my heart beating as the judge calls the case. And I go, <sighs> all right, take okay. a deep breath, compose Here yourself. Go. I
0: know all about them. Let's go. And what do you tell yourself in those moments? I always tell myself, you know this. It's not your job to do anything other than tell them what you know. Just tell them what you know. And then I think to myself. But it's weird. Right. You don't, I, there's mo- many times, and I know you do it. You open your mouth, I don't know where I'm going to start. I don't even know where I'm going to start. I didn't in this case. I had no idea what I was going to say. I might have had maybe a word or two. But that moment. And, it, and all of a sudden, it comes to you. I mean, there are these moments where you just tell yourself, just go do it. Just go do it. And I'm thinking, all right, once more into the breach, asshole. You got to pull it together once more time. One more time. Then you can yeah. give yourself a break. You know, just yeah. one more time into the breach. And I hate to say I was that nervous or freaked out over a simple sentencing hearing, but I was. I was a little bit yeah. – there there are moments in, in lives, I think, in time where your, where your past is there, where your future is there, where your present is there, where everything is right there. And right. you just think this is one of those moments. This is a moment
1: that can change everything. And that's how your sentence felt. If you felt like that, that, that makes me feel good because that lets me know that you got to know Jared, Mm. you got to know the real me. You got to know more than just why I walked into your office. And if you were that passionate and you felt that hopefully you will be able to purvey that to others. I had just met your parents outside yeah. yeah, they're sitting next to me. It's like for the yeah. first time I'm
0: meeting mom and dad, and Shorty's there, and everybody's wearing suits. I'm just like, oh yeah. shit! Now, and by it's the way, about... I've done it.
2: I've done. You have I've too. Done it. I've done it. Many it's like times. being a comedian. You you, you bomb. You got to bomb to be able to deliver what you delivered that day. Yeah. But Jared, let's ask you because we, we lawyers talk, and that's why we call it lawyer talk. Putting your tie on that morning, putting your jacket on, being with Shorty, being with family. What's going through your head at that point?
1: A lot was going through my head. I I don't know if I can. Do you remember tone it waking up that morning? I remember. I remember putting on the shirt. I remember putting on the tie, and I remember. I remember driving down there. It was quiet. Nobody it said was, anything. We we didn't say much. There was there was not much there. It was just. It was the full anticipation. It was the full. Here we are. We're we're going forward. At one point, though, it was. I was quiet because today is the new day. Today, I will get an answer. Mm. Yeah. Today, the wondering can stop. That was was a little assuring. That was a little assuring. And I had accepted in my mind that they was going to say five years. Mm. It's
0: interesting. When we're – I get asked this question all the time. How do you represent – Guilty people. How do you do that? And my answer is sort of flip sometimes. Sometimes it's uh, it's genuine. Sometimes I say, just shut the hell out. I don't feel like talking. But it, it, the the answer is always this. Those are the easy ones. And I don't mean that in a way that our job is easy. I mean, those are those are the, it, 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 maybe I always answer it with a question. It's like, imagine how you might feel if somebody's not guilty and you lost. Mm-hmm. Imagine how you might feel if you go into a courtroom and you know that this person is accused of something they didn't do and you lost it. Imagine the pressure that puts on you before, during, and after that whole mess. And imagine this scenario where you're going into a courtroom with somebody who you know did the crime, right? We pled guilty, but it's the same scenario. This is not an individual who should go to prison for five years. And the impact that it was going to have on you, I don't mean to marginalize that at all by saying that, I felt it too because I'm not the one going to prison. I'm not the one I get to wake up tomorrow. No matter what, actually, I probably wouldn't have woken up. I probably wouldn't have fallen asleep. Right. I mean, it's like we lose as much sleep over this as uh, for different reasons than, than others. But it's like, this is a moment where you've got everything as an attorney to work with. Don't blow it. And then you got to clear
2: that from your head. Mm -hmm. So we get there. We just going to do this now. Oh, we we got to leave a hanger, don't we? Let's get up in front of the judge. And you got to tune in next time. The cliffhanger. For the end. Lawyer talk. Off the record. <laughs> this, is, right, right.
0: this is lawyer talk. Off the record. Getting ready. The Blinsky Chronicles.
2: We're standing there. Sentencing. Courtroom's full. You just listed all the people that are there. Eerie, Eerie, Eerie. God save
0: this honorable court. All rise. What is it? Uh, Anybody having business with the court, come present or come forward and ye shall be heard. Here we are. Lawyer talk off the record, but on the air until now.